This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? How we doing getting through the week? Chugging along, chugging along. God, it's the summer. Does it feel like summer to y'all? I... I was saying this uh, over the most recent holidays, the couple that have been punctuated. I, I've been like, I don't even, I have no, uh, I'm not grounded in place and time. Without a calendar, I wouldn't even know what season it is, right? Everything is so, all the things, at least for me structurally, that help me determine what day it is, what season it is, aren't really accessible in the same way. So everything seems kind of uh, flimsy. So anyway, it's the summer. <laughs> I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Usually it means for a lot of us, some of us, uh, joy, right? Enjoying the the warmth, if that's your thing, getting out more. Uh I hope we're all doing the best we can right now. And that might mean for some of us kind of sitting on the sidelines, watching others thrive and, and participate fully. Um, I want to kind of open the show by just processing that whole concept that there's no right way. And I'm working with a lot of individuals that are seeing others uh, socializing to high levels or thriving and really kind of getting back to life as it was for them before. And they're saying, they're saying, I feel different, right? Or I feel very fragile or I don't, I don't feel normal. And I want to just advocate for the acceptance of that, the allowance of that. I am also having that, and I have access to a lot of skills. I've done a lot of work, right? I've been in a lot of my own therapy, and I'm also realizing that, that I'm feeling a little fragile, that things that maybe were an eight feel like a 10, things that were a six feel like an eight, right? Everything's a little amplified, and I'm saying to myself repeatedly, my mantra I've noticed is, just be where you are, be kind with yourself. There's no rush, there's no right way. You know, I'll see friends, just socializing on grand scales. And I'm like, I'm not ready for that. And then I say to myself, and that's okay, be where you are. That's them. That's not the right way. Be where you are. And for some of us, that means lower levels of uh, socialization or, or exiting the house. Okay, you know, we're taking care of ourselves. So just want to call that out. Summertime can bring up a lot of isolation, anxiety, or depression for people because it tends to mean often travel, right? Socialization, et cetera, et cetera. Not everyone has that or has really due to the pandemic not had the same comfort. It's okay. People tend to only post they're 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 thriving on social media. So you're not seeing all the people that are doing the same thing you're doing. Staying home, playing it safe, playing it comfortable, playing it easy. It's it's okay to do that. Remember, the goal isn't to fit in. The goal isn't conformity. The goal is truth, authenticity and kind of allowing that. Um so we're going to talk about, and again, I know this is a topic that I've covered a little bit, but I found an article and I thought they came at it from a different perspective that I thought was interesting. So it's really looking at problematic red flags in a new relationship with new partners. Um, and these things I think are, are important to unpack because I think they're very common and, and acceptable to a lot of people. So we're going to kind of dig into that. But before we get to that, I just want to acknowledge that this time of the year is hard for some people, if not only because the changing of the seasons, but also because, again, they're seeing people maybe participating more in the world in ways that they're not. And, you know, humans tend to really be rooted in a lot of comparison, right? And we just want to be like everyone else, Um while also so rooted in individualism, it's such an interesting juxtaposition where our culture is such a toxic, rugged individualism where we only look out for ourselves, right? Uh, but at the same time, we want to fit in and be like everyone else. Ah, such a dichotomy. Um, but nonetheless, we're, we're, we're kind of doing that mantra. Be where you are, you know? Everything, everything that you're doing is where you need to be and what you need to be doing. There's no rush. There's no end goal, right? Like there's no literal end goal. Um, things are going to also come back to life differently. I was just driving the other day through LA and I was, 
really heartbroken to see more places closed and long gone. Um, even arbitrary ones, like a couple gas stations that have no meaning to me, but it was just surprising to see them out of business, restaurants I liked, um, a gallery I like. It was just, you know, it, it was it was a reminder that it's been a hard year and that for a lot of individuals it will continue to be. Not everyone's able to bounce back with employment or finances or relational stuff. So uh, we gotta be kind with ourselves. Uh, but that was a lesson we had to learn anyway, but more so now. So let's kind of do that work. Um, but yes, after the break, we're going to talk about those relational red flags. Um, just just focus on what feels good. And I know that that's a really hard metric for a lot of us. Um, self-improvement culture, you know, no, no pain, no gain, no sweat, whatever. No, we're doing things that feel good and are kind. And if they don't, we're not doing them. I want people to quit because they don't enjoy something. You know what I mean? Like we're centering joy. If you don't like something anymore, quit it. Stop doing it. Like really root our lives in pleasure and comfort. We don't have to always be, there was a, there was a really great book written and its thesis was that everything is work. Our relationships take work, our families take work, our health takes work, our job takes work. Like when are we not on the clock? And it was just such a powerful reminder that we need to stop working so much. And I've talked about that endlessly on the show. But I want us to start again using that barometer of fun and pleasure to the extent that we can um, and just center our lives more in that. That's what I want to come out of this time. Uh, anyway, like I said, when we come back, we're going to talk about some early relational stuff that uh, has been normalized that we don't want to normalize. I know it's a topic we've covered before, but there's so much in this. There's never enough to get, there's never enough time to get through all of it, I'll say. And then, of course, we'll be gliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Whatever you're wondering about, we got answers for you or a topic you want covered, we'll cover it. So stick around and join us. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. Coming up next, Dr. Justin joins us, presented by Astroglide. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This interview brought to you by Astroglide and Channel Q. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, we're sitting down tonight with Dr. Justin LaMiller, resident sex researcher for Astroglide. Welcome to the show. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Chris. All right. So um, let's just let's jump into some stats about the LGBTQIA community. Um, when we're talking about people that identify as part of the community, what percentage of the U.S. population identifies? That is actually a surprisingly difficult question to answer because it depends on which survey you consult, how they ask the question, and which demographic group you're looking at. So, for example, if you look at the youngest Americans, the numbers are much higher than if you look at the oldest Americans. So the best number I can give you overall is that about 6 to 7% of the U.S. population currently identifies as being LGBTQ+. But if you break it down and look at, say, Gen Z adults, it's actually twice as high. It's 15 to 16% who identify as LGBTQ+. But if you look at the oldest Americans, it's about 1% to 2%. So there's huge variation depending God on which group you're shift. looking at. And also, it's I mean, that acronym in- incorporates 
a lot of different ways of identifying. Yes. And there might be people that aren't comfortable with some of those terms that still would fall under that. And also, am I correct that in sex research, it's often difficult to get people to self-report honestly? Sure. I mean, there's a good way to try and get honest answers, which is to ask questions anonymously, to collect your data anonymously, because that tends to encourage more honest reporting. But even then, some people haven't come to terms with their own identities, and they're still figuring things out. So that also sort of further complicates the picture when you're trying to get a sense of, you know, what is the overall size of this community. Yeah. And with sex stigma being so prevalent, I think some people, if they're unsure to identify, might make them feel like that's a permanent choice they can't back out of. Yeah. And this is where it gets so fascinating as a researcher, because the data fluctuate a lot depending on the response options that you give people. So for example, in a lot of the recent surveys I've done, when you give people a list of sexual orientation categories to choose from, I'll add the option of mostly heterosexual. Uh, and when you add that, you have a lot of people who typically would identify just strictly as hetero. They wouldn't identify as bisexual or pansexual. But if you give them the option of mostly hetero, they'll choose that. And so what that tells us is that sexuality is so much more fluid and doesn't fit into these neat and tidy little boxes that people think that it does. Yeah. And I know even like my own personal experience of all that with identification, like I change my mind weekly, monthly. So it's like, depending on when you'd have someone like me engage in that survey, you're going to get different answers. Um, so how does that compare historically to the numbers? I know you said generationally you broke it down. It's the population has grown. Talk a little bit more about that. So if you sort of look at the history of LGBTQIA identification, right? This is actually a really recent thing that people have studied. I would say that Alfred Kinsey was the first person to really try and study sexual diversity in the United States, and he did his work in the 1940s and 50s, but he wasn't looking at self-identity. He was looking at same-sex behavior and attraction. And one of the things he found with his famous Kinsey scale was that about 10% of the men that he interviewed were predominantly or exclusively gay according to their Kinsey scale scores. And so that led a lot of people to think that 10% is really the, the figure, the number uh, in the population. And it wasn't until the 1990s that you actually had your first nationally representative sex survey in the United States. Like, that's literally just like 30 years ago. Who was doing that work? <laughs> uh, that came out of Chicago. It was the National Health and Social Life Survey led okay. by uh, Dr. Edward Lauman. Okay. Um, and the number that they found, and they only looked at to identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual, it was 2 to 3%. And back then we only had terms like that. We didn't yeah, have such did. an extensive vocabulary. Exactly. Yeah. And so to get the more inclusive terminology that we use today, you know, you're only talking about data in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah. So, you know, the numbers vary a lot depending on the survey, how you ask the question, the historical period you're looking at a lot of variation. So like you said, if we're looking at the history of surveying for such things, you said about the 40s and the 50s was kind of the, the beginning, the entry point. Yep. Yeah. And I, I always see interesting numbers. And I guess, as always, you have to look at what populations are they looking at, who's doing the research, how it's interpreted. Um, so have any survey methods influenced the numbers themselves? Sure. Not the choice, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it depends on how you ask the question. You right. know, it's the quality of the data that you get depends on how you decide to ask and frame the question. And that goes back to what I said about, you know, if you give people the option of mostly heterosexual, you'll have a lot of people who will choose that. So if you don't give people the option of identifying or including themselves in the community, uh, or you don't use the terminology that they might personally gravitate towards, you're not going to get the right <laughs> numbers yeah. or figures. And also, like we said, like individual definition where I know as a clinician in my intake form, um, I don't actually ask this anymore. It's something I like to do in, in real time. But my, my former forms would have a blank line for people to kind of put their own identifiers. Yeah. And it was fascinating to sometimes learn terms that I had not been familiar with yet. Right. And then to ask, like, what does that term actually mean to you? And even ones that I thought I was familiar with, they had new nuanced definitions to them. And that's why some research researchers give the open-ended boxes for people to self-identify and label. The reason that's not used super widely in the research world is because it is difficult to code, right? Uh, and people will have different spellings and different meanings and interpretations. And so that just, you know, in, in some ways it's preferable because it gives people the option to label themselves, but it also makes it harder to deal with from a 
data analysis standpoint. And I, I think the other thing here is that even within this community, you take a term like, say, bisexual or pansexual, you can have two bisexual people who have drastically different definitions of what right. being bisexual means. And so even if you're just looking at these identity labels, yeah, you can say like, OK, this is what percentage identifies bisexual, but bisexual means drastically different things to different right. people. Some people initially <laughs> thought that it meant like a true 50-50, you know, yeah. interest in, in all genders. And it's like, well, it can be 90-10, it can be 70-30, and that, that matters as well. So if we're talking about a company like Astroglide, which you work for, mm-hmm. um, they're talking about their lube being available for everybody. And I think that that's an interesting cultural shift is that we're trying to accommodate everyone, making everyone feel included. Yeah. And, you know, this is something where historically most sexual health and wellness products were directed toward the cisgender heterosexual community. And so it's nice to finally see that there's... That everything's not for them? Yes. <laughs> you know, that all people, all, right. all holes are important, you know? so Well said. Yeah. And that, so thank you, Astroglide, for being inclusive. I, I want that to be a trend that more people jump in on. Um, so let's talk specifically about identities that um, have been increasing. So within the large LGBTQIA acronym, are there specific identities that you've seen massive numbers rising in? So this is something that's really fascinating to me as a sex researcher. You see that there's this overall growth in identification of LGBTQ plus identities, but there's no change, almost no change in the number of people who identify as gay or lesbian. That figure has remained pretty static over the last couple of decades where you see growth is in the number of people who identify as bisexual. In fact, that number has increased by about 300% in the last decade or so. You also see growth in pansexual identification, identification as trans or non-binary, um, asexual. Uh, it's, it's somewhat hard to know if that's growing or if it's just because researchers didn't ask about it in the past, sure. right? So, you know, that's And that's an of, interesting one because I yeah. know historically in my sex therapy training, we... I was trained, this is about, God, 15 years ago, I was trained to really see that as an issue to solve, Mm -hmm. right? The assumption that everyone has sexuality, and so there must be something wrong. And now I'm thankful that we're seeing it as the diversity that exists within human nature. And I think part of it, too, is that we're we're giving people a vernacular for understanding their own sexuality and labeling it. And we didn't have that in the past. And so, you know, that's part of what's going on here in terms of why we're seeing changes in sexual identification. Yeah. Interesting. Um, So those, I guess, are what I guess to ask you, I was going to ask you about what influences have impacted that. And you kind of called that out, that there's actually terminology. And then with terminology, it makes people feel legitimate and feeling legitimate. You now have access to resources and community. And I think that's pulling people forward. Yes, that that's part of it. I think the other part, too, is that LGBTQ sexualities are less stigmatized today than they were before. So for example, if you look at data from the 1990s, early 2000s, the vast majority of Americans disapproved of same-sex marriage, right? But today, the vast majority approve, right? There's been this massive cultural shift in a really short period of time. And I think that that allows people to feel more comfortable coming out. And people who might have remained in the closet previously, they don't have as many restrictions on socially being able to to be their authentic selves i've i've never in any moment in time uh heard so many people identifying as queer Mm -hmm. or fluid never and i'm even surprised at some people that i thought i knew who they were or i was aware of how they had identified and it shifted and so it's really uh forced me to hold a lot of space for not knowing who people are and growth and shift which i love but it unsettles some people yeah it, it, it does. Um, but I think, you know, something else that's that's happening here and to go back to the generational issue that we talked about where the younger adults are much more likely to identify as LGBTQ. You know, th- there are so many factors that play into that. There's the greater social acceptance. There's the vernacular. But there's also the fact that if you look at the older adults, so many people in the LGBTQ community died of AIDS and it's it wiped out an entire generation of this community. And so I think a lot of people look at the data and think that, well, older adults just aren't as open-minded about these issues. But you also have to take into account the fact that so many people died because of that epidemic. And that's also part of the reason why the numbers are much lower in that community. Yeah, historical context is important. I think that that's something that culturally we don't 
understand or look deeply enough into. Definitely not. <laughs> and it helps shed light on a lot of things. And then I guess, what do you, if you had to do some forecasting, do you have any predictions as, as to what you think we might be moving towards next or what changes might occur? So I think it's possible that we might see a further rise in LGBTQ identification. For example, in my own research on sexual fantasies, if you look at the number of men and women who identify as exclusively heterosexual, a very high number of them have had same-sex fantasies. You know, about half of women, about a quarter of men, and again, these are people who identify as cisgender and exclusively heterosexual, they've had a same-sex fantasy, which means there's a lot of fluidity in our attractions. And so it's possible that more people might feel comfortable labeling uh, themselves differently in the future if that social acceptance continues to increase further. But given that we know how fluid sexuality can be, it's also possible we're going to see fluctuations in the data and numbers might go down at some point. They might go up at other points. So I think we just have to keep that in mind. The, the future can be a little bit unpredictable in this area. I love that. <laughs> yeah. that. So bringing Astroglide back in, lube in the LGBTQIA community, what? Good thing? Add lube to all sexuality, do some more exploring, find out more about who you are? I mean, I think exploring is always worthwhile because how do you know what you like, what you enjoy, what's pleasurable unless you try it? And so many people think they know what they want, what they enjoy because of certain sexual scripts that they follow every time that they have sex. And if you don't open yourself up and try new things, it's really hard to know <laughs> where your sexuality might go in the future. And that's one of the cool things about research I've done over the last year during this pandemic is that I've seen so many people explore their sexuality. I've seen a lot of people change their sexual identity labels, people trying anal sex or anal stimulation for the first time. You know, people have gotten very experimental and exploratory and, you know, that's, I guess, one of the silver linings of this really rough year and a half that we've been through. <laughs> and if you're going to do that exploring, Astro Glide, bring in that lube. Absolutely. All right. Dr. Justin LaMiller, resident sex researcher for Astro Glide. Thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight. Thanks for having me. Have a great night. To learn more about Astro Glide and what products are right for you, visit AstroGlide.com. Love Line. We'll be right back. Love Line. All right, y'all, we're back, and now it's time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Nate. Ah, that's a good name. I used to know someone named Nate. I haven't heard that name in a very, very, very long time. My boyfriend, Vincent, that's also a really solid name that I don't hear often, Nate and Vincent. I love it. We've been together four years. Well done. That's a long time for a lot of us. But in all honesty... I'm starting to get bored. God bless you, Nate. Uh, well, I've been bored for a while, but I kind of blamed it on the pandemic. I get it. We blamed a lot on the pandemic. It kind of let us glide by a little bit, right? Now that it's over, I'm starting to see that I'm just not stimulated in the relationship anymore. I do love him, but I don't know if I'm in love with him anymore. How do I figure it out? How can I test our relationship to see if I'm still even into it? Man, that's a rough one. Most likely, if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it. Look, here's the deal. We can love someone but not be in love with them. And if you're questioning it, yeah, when in doubt, hang in there longer. But if you've been feeling this way through the entire pandemic, which is uh, possibly about two years, depending on how you look at the start date, um, it might be time to go. But here's the thing. Again, this is very monogacentric. Not that monogamy is bad, but often the pressures or tensions or struggles are rooted in the idea that we think we can only have one choice only, and it's a permanent choice. No, there's a fluidity. Take time. Break up for a while. Say to him, look, I love you. I think I need some time and space. Go date others. If you miss each other, come back together and be together again. You know what I mean? It shouldn't be that deep or that heavy. Don't see it as like a permanent loss. That's part of the problem. We're afraid of losing someone, but we don't lose people. We don't break up. We transition into another configuration. So maybe it's just time to be friends. You don't get to lose him. You don't have to lose him. And if you realize it's still there, you'll keep having sex. You'll keep flirting. You'll come back together. Let it have some fluidity. Maybe say to him, let's be open for a while. I want to see what it's like to have sex or to date or flirt with other people. That's a really good way to assess and test how you feel about your partner. But we're so obsessed with these tight reins and monogamy as though once we break up with someone, they're lost, they're gone. We can't have them back. Oh my God. Or, you know, we're in or we're out. No, there's so many other options. You can, you can have your cake and you can eat it too. Plus have, you know, a Sunday and a donut. You know what I mean? Yo, Vincent, I love you. 
It's been a rough time through the pandemic. I'm a little confused. I want to flirt, try being with others. Maybe I want to have sex with others. Or let's just transition into friendship. I think we're better as friends. I mean, be honest. Talk it out. Give Vincent the opportunity to weigh in on what he wants and how he feels. Maybe he'll say, I've been over it too. Thank you for pulling the trigger. Maybe he'll say, I love you and I'll give you whatever you need. You take the time. I'll hang in there. Or... Or he won't, or he'll say, let's just be friends with benefits, or he'll say, let's have an open relationship, but let's keep living together and be primaries, but go have fun with other people too. I don't know, but have bring be transparent, have that conversation, but know that there's a thousand options. It's not just with them or not with them, having them or losing them. You know what I mean? We have to get more familiar with these other options. That's part of the problem. Too many relationships and marriages end because we see things in such binary black and white overly, overly anxious, tight gripped ways. We need to let go and loosen up a bit. You know what I mean? Like we need to, we need to chill. We need to breathe. So bring some fluidity, bring some space. That's how you test a relationship. Really bring reality and really sit down and tell him what's going on with you. Let him be a part of that. We should be cooperative. We shouldn't be nervous about telling a partner we're not sure how we feel anymore or that we're not sure we're in love anymore. We should be able to share that. Let them have some power in that decision making, right? We don't want to make that decision for them. When we get into a relationship, we go from an I and a me to a we and an us. And we need to think in those terms. Bring your partner or husband or wife into your thought process. That is called intimacy. When we share things that make us anxious that might make them anxious out of a, out of a, with the intention of love and care and transformation. Hey, Vincent, this is going to be hard to hear. It's hard to say, but it's important for you to know because I love you, blah, blah, blah. You pull them in, practice it. It'll be good for you. You're going to grow. And I promise you, you'll get what you want and then circle back and let us know how that goes. I like, I like knowing how these things land coming up next though. I'm going to be talking more about red flags. Ah, yes, because if we can see them from the door, we save ourselves a lot of trouble because everything counts. Everything counts. From the minute we first connect with someone, it all counts, and we're always assessing someone. As a therapist, I'm diagnosing from the first email, how they reach out, what they say, our first session, between sessions. Got to kind of pan out. So stick around, come back. We'll talk about red flags. And then again, we'll be gliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. Stick around. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about these uh, red flags that emerge early on in relationships. If nothing else, before you even talk about what they are, just know that they exist. Anything that feels off, give some attention to. You know what I mean? Again, as we say, not everyone's their best on a first date, although some things are you know, complete deal breakers. Um, let's start there for a quick second. I do work with some clients on documenting from a single solid place what are green lights, what are some things that are really ideal for them, but also what are some... Um, what are some red flags, which means we kind of like investigate further and keep an eye on? And then what are some deal breakers? And the reason why I have them do it while they're single with my support is to make sure that they're, it's coming from the best in them. And then we work on holding ourselves accountable to that. And that's why we do it on the front end before we've even met someone so as to not you know, make certain things excusable. But it's important to know what are the things we want to keep an eye on? What are the things that are just never going to be okay for us? Um, again, we do this by looking back at who we have been in prior relationships that helps us speak to what we want to be aware of. And then also looking at who, who we do want to be again. And so that goes in the green lights that goes in the red flags. And then some of the things are in the deal breakers where just not going to ever happen. It'll never work. It's important for us to all have that, um, processed. You know what I mean? Ahead of time. And then we kind of run it through because we know from studies that if the chemistry is there and we're finding someone attractive enough and we enjoy them, we're kind of willing to let some things slide, which is what we're going to talk about today. Some of the things that like, hey, you really want to be aware of and kind of track. So these aren't necessarily deal breakers. These are red flags, things that you kind of keep an eye on, see if they're resolvable. Um, and again, we're going to break these down. So the first one is too much interest too soon on the front end. Um, is that a red flag? And the reason why it's a red flag is because sometimes it's just because they're really excited or they really enjoy us. It's not necessarily always a bad thing. So some people also just move quicker than others. Um, so we want to make sure though, that we're taking time to actually be known and to know the other. We don't want to make any really big moves, right? Um, until we've gotten to know them and it takes time. And I've said this before, I think one of the most important telling moments is when we have conflict for the first time. I don't care how soon it arises, when it finally arises, how do you and this person manage conflict? If you don't manage it well, that's a red flag. 
you're learning because it's not even about you as a couple yet. It's just learning their communication skills, their conflict resolution skills. Some people you'll see from the door that they're aggressive, right? Um, they don't do any repair. They write you off right away. Maybe they slip into name calling and then we're actually moving into deal breakers because deal breakers should be anything abusive, anything verbally abusive, anything physically abusive. Name calling is, is verbal abuse. Should be a deal breaker. We should not be in relationships with people that do that. If we already are, we let them know that's not acceptable. And if it happens again, it might be time to end this relationship because abuse is never okay, right? But the red flag is that they don't deal with conflict well, meaning it's a little funky, it's a little clunky. Some people are great at it. They're like, hey, that felt a little odd. I still think you're awesome. Conflict has to be allowable. What's for dinner? You know what I mean? Conflict shouldn't be a reason for us to peace out, but some people do that early on. They're uncomfortable with something frustrated and they just write you off. Wow. They don't work through. They don't know how to do repair, right? So we want to give time and, and to get to some conflict to really see. And dating is about multitudes. We date to see if we want a relationship with someone. So early on when we're dating, we should be going out with multiple different, multiple people, giving ourselves a shot to give multiple people a chance. We shouldn't feel bad about that. We're single when we're dating. Dating is not a relationship. And if we really like someone, we give them the best shot by still dating others in the beginning so as to not put too much pressure, right? We give things a chance. So slow down. Date a few people, take your time, let some conflict arise, see how this person manages conflict, see how you manage it with them, right? These are all important things because that's one of the biggest issues in some couples. They don't manage conflict well. Well, good luck, because that's not always resolvable. Some people will perpetually be bad at it and that will be what you take on in being with them long-term. You wanna know that on the front end. So the other thing, the downsides, the red flag part of too much interest is some people just are desperate to be in a relationship and it's not about you, they just wanna be with someone. And for others, Similar is it's a really flimsy connection because it's not rooted in anything because you haven't really gotten time to see if you're compatible, if you have shared interests, et cetera, et cetera. It's just they like the idea of you and that's not something you can build a relationship on. So if someone's moving too quickly in the beginning, it's because they are committing and interested in a fantasy they have of you. A real person hasn't emerged yet, right? There hasn't been enough time. And so what does happen then if you let them down, which you will because no one fulfills the full fantasy, Right? They make up in their mind who they think you are or you'd be. We haven't given them enough information. And when we break that, shatter that, or let them down, sometimes people bounce. So again, conflict is one of the most powerful moments to learn about someone else, as is conflict again, when we actually emerge as a real person and we start to disappoint them or frustrate them. How do they manage that? Do they stick around? If so, those are good signs. If not, not good. So really, really sit in that piece. It's really about conflict, but it, the entry point is about moving too fast, wanting too much too soon, not taking time to experience, to get to know. That's why we move slow. That's why we date multiple people. It takes the pressure off of that one thing. Food example, if you go to the fridge and you only have one thing and you're hungry, that one thing better be good, delicious, and satiating because that's your dinner. You go in there and you have a few options. You're going to take the pressure off of each one. If you don't like one so much, ah, we'll, we'll try it again tomorrow, but let me try this other thing right now. You know what I mean? There's more fluidity. So that's that. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other red flags that really on the front end, let us know who this person might be. They're not deal breakers. They're red flags, which means we give them a little more time to kind of work with them. Um, and then later in the show, of course, we'll be gliding into those DMs courtesy of Astro Glide. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. So stick around. All right, we're back and we're talking about red flags, things to identify on the front end. Why? Because people show us and tell us a lot about their mental and relational health from the door. Everything counts. Everything's diagnostic. You are assessing their mental health and the chemistry and compatibility from the door, from the first match, from how they initiate, right? And we were just talking in the last, epi uh, last episode, last segment, about things needing some time so that we know they're not interested in the fantasy they've made up about who we are because they haven't really gotten to know us. And all of that is broken through when we disappoint or frustrate and some conflict emerges. And then we really see who they are, how they manage conflict. Then we move into the idea of too much communication or odd communication patterns, right? When someone asks me, how do I know when I'm ready to start dating? I say to them, number one, how's your life? Are you happy? We should have a general level of happiness. Otherwise, we're not ready to bring someone in. We'll expect happiness from them. We'll put that pressure on them. Or we don't necessarily have a lot to offer. So work on building a life that makes sense to you first. Number two, have friends. If you don't have good friendships, work on that also first. That's a good skill builder, right? It's also important to have. And that's why some people that are a little too present, a little too clingy, a little too much communication, it might be a sign that they're interested and really excited. 
That's why we're saying these things are red flags. They're not deal breakers. We're getting more information or they don't have a lot going on. Not always bad, but it could be if they're trying to make you everything where a healthy partner understands that you have friends and family members and hobbies that won't include them. And they have their own full life, which is why I talk about dating people that are happy and making sure they have friends and you have friends. So they're like, okay, great. I won't get to see you all the time because you're going to be participating in other elements of your life and I will as well. And that feels good. But if they don't have those things, they're going to want you to be their weekend plans, their weeknight plans, their date to everything, their go-to for everything. And that's exhausting, especially when you have a big, full, rich life otherwise. And that's why we want to date someone who has that as well. So people that are maybe too available or communicating too much, it's not necessarily a deal breaker. It's a red flag because maybe that's because we're important to them. Or it's because they don't have a lot else going on and that pressure might be put on us to fulfill all those things. And they might make us feel bad or try to limit our lives and our access to all these other things, hobbies and other friends. So be very thoughtful about that. And early on, we assess these things. How often do they try to see you? What is it like when you, again, going back to the first point about conflict, what are they like when you say to them, unfortunately, I'm not available this weekend. I have a lot of plans with my friends. Do they immediately say, well, then you don't like me. You're not taking me seriously. You're not available. Well, that's a red flag because they don't understand that you can have multiple priorities, that your friends should be as important and mean as much as a date. There's room for both to be a number one. We don't have to choose. Healthy people don't make you choose. They can say, oh, it's a bummer. I really wanted to see you but they're not gonna make you choose. They'll say, great, well, when are you free? And as they become more of a priority, maybe they'll get the first bid for a night to spend time, but they're not gonna give you pressure or go into jealousy if you're seeing friends, right? Jealousy is an inappropriate thing for someone you're dating to hold you accountable to when we're talking about friends. You know what I mean? They, they want you to be with your friends. They want you to have a big, full life. Also, Reassurance seeking, but reassurance seeking too soon. You know, it's understandable when we built a committed longer term relationship for people to want to check in on how are we, how are things going? Talk about that all the time. I want every relationship to sit down and say, hey, how the past couple months been? How's this year been? Is this relationship something we want to keep taking forward? And if so, what do we need to work on? Check-ins are important. We have to be able to be told by those in our lives how we impact them, what it's like to be in a relationship with us, right? But if they're asking for it too soon, that's a lot of anxiety. They're wanting you to shore up their anxiety. And you can't do that because you don't know them, because you're still taking time, because you're still figuring out. So we're not taking on the responsibility to self-soothe or to help reduce the anxiety. You know what I mean? They're going to themselves to do that. And that's part of mental health is knowing that people have self-soothing capabilities and not always going to put that on us, right? Here's another huge one because we're trying to work on building relationships that aren't rooted in toxic forms of monogamy and ownership and jealousy, AKA patriarchy. They shouldn't have issues with you being friends with your exes. They shouldn't have intense anger at meeting an ex of yours, bumping into an ex, because there's no jealousy, there's no competition. They're in their life, in your life now, and this former person isn't. But your ex was a person who you were with and you cared for. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. So like a mentally healthy, intelligent adult, you lovingly backed out and left. Now you're happy when you see them. You wave, you smile. There's no drama. But if your new partner, the new person you're dating, wants to make your ex a villain or someone bad or make it uncomfortable or someone they don't want to see, that's a red flag. There is no competition. There shouldn't be an issue. There is space for both to live on the planet and maybe to be seen, right? But we don't want to move forward supporting the idea that our current should be angry or threatened by our ex, especially if you just bump into them in a you know, parking lot. I, I've heard stories like that where someone's trying to rationalize, oh, that's your ex over there, and they're throwing shade, and they're angry, and it's like, you haven't even met them or know them, and they're a good person. Like, Why are you forcing us into this odd tension and struggle that isn't even rooted in anything? So again, the ability to just lovingly reference or talk about the fact that you've had a dating life prior to the present is an important sign. You've had a life prior to meeting the person you're with now. There's no reason to feel bad or jealous or shame about that. You shouldn't have stayed single in, in, because you magically were supposed to know that you were going to meet this person at some point and they're too primitive or immature to understand that you had a life prior to them. We don't live our lives accommodating that possibility. It's very bizarre. We have to expect that new people in our lives honor that we've had a life prior to them and we'll deal with it appropriately. And if not, if we see those signs, that's a massive red flag. For me, it's actually a deal breaker. But for many, it's just a red flag that you say to them, hey, listen, I need you to tone down that energy. That's my ex. There's no reason to be mean to them or frustrated. 
And if they can't respond well to that, then it goes back to the first point I brought up about how they deal with conflict when you let them down or disappoint them. So it's a powerful moment. We learn a lot about the health of those around us. Um, all right, we're gonna take a little break. And when we come back, we're gonna finalize our discussion about these uh, early on red flags that if we can notice them, take them seriously, right? Try to work on them, identify them in self and other, we have a better shot of being in a better relationship than uh, prior. So we're not we're not shying away from these things. And then of course, we'll glide into those DMs. So if you got a DM first, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and uh, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it. There they are. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we are back and we're finishing... Our discussion about red flags, <clears throat> again, if you're smart enough, you see these things on the front end, you track them, you see if they resolve, maybe even bring some of them up and say, hey, that's not really comfortable or the way I date. You kind of see how someone deals with being, you know, talking about conflict or having to recognize where the work is. And that helps us decide if we want to keep pushing forward. But we move slowly so as to let these moments emerge. People get in too fast and they're like, all right, I'll be your girlfriend. I'll be monogamous. And we push forward and then these moments emerge and we're like, oh my God, this person's not who I thought they were. They're far, they're far less healthy, but I've already committed. And that's why we don't do that. We give it time, give it weeks, give it months. If it's, if it's truly, if there's a lot of compatibility and chemistry, we'll, we will weather that. But what are we rushing? That, that's anxiety. But we want to take our time while dating others to really see who's best for us, who's healthiest, who do we have the most chemistry and compatibility with. And all these moments of upheaval really let us know who this person is and what we can pull off together. Another red flag, again, not necessarily a deal breaker, but a red flag, something to track and look at is being overly boundary pushing or forceful where they're pushing on your boundaries. Healthy people honor boundaries, even if it disappoints them, bums them out. They're like, ah, bummer, but okay. They honor boundaries. Respecting boundaries is at the heart of like safety. It's the heart, at the heart of consent culture. Rape culture is ignoring boundaries, pushing on boundaries, not taking no for an answer. When someone says no, we try to change their mind or challenge them. Healthy people say, okay. All you have to do is say, yeah, no, and they, and they move on. So boundary pushing can show up a lot of different ways. So let's talk about some of them. Uh, continuing to talk about a topic that you've shown disinterest or comfort in. One of the popular ones is, oh, how many people have you had sex with? And your answer should be, you know, I'm not comfortable answering that ever because that doesn't tell you anything. What is it you were looking to know? And if they keep asking, keep asking, it's like, wow, they don't honor my boundary. I just told them I wasn't willing to talk about that, right? Even on a date, if you t turn someone down and they keep pushing or pursuing you, they don't honor boundaries. Uh, going through your belongings or your social media, that's psychologically abusive. They do not understand boundaries. No one, not even your husband or wife, has a right to go through your stuff or your phone without permission. No matter who you're with or what the configuration is or label, you have a right to have boundaries and privacy with everyone and anyone. You do have a right to have thoughts and ideas that your partner doesn't have access to. They don't have a right to go through your step work or read your diary or go through your phone. They don't have a right to know what you and your friends talk about. And if they do think they have a right, that should be a deal breaker. This is someone who wants total control, lets jealousy run their life, doesn't understand boundaries, and is definitely not caring and compassionate. That is a very unsafe relationship. That's a very wounded person who needs some time to heal and get into some therapy. What are some other boundaries? Uh, trying to change your mind about sex, right? Whether or not you want to have it, how you want to have it. Um, trying to get you to not like your friends or distance you from your friends or isn't kind about your friends, someone who talks poorly about you or your boundary, again, that's psychologically and emotionally abusive. So for me, I think that should be a deal breaker. Is someone's name calling or putting you down? Because dating is about saying the person before me, as they are, is what I want. Not trying to get them to change. You don't need to change for someone. If someone says, hey, here's some elements of our relationship I'm struggling with, that's one thing. But if someone says I need you to lose weight or dress a certain way or have certain friends, no, that's a deal breaker. Uh, other boundaries, pushing your sexual boundary, we talked about that, pushing you along at a pace you're not comfortable with, um, and not honoring you when you might say to them, this isn't a relationship I want anymore. Ending it. That's a big one. You end it. And then they still keep coming back around. That should be a, a reminder. I definitely can't take them back because they don't honor the boundary that I even just try to set with ending this thing. I know it's hard. I know social media lets us circle back, stay connected, creep, but you know we have to use it, not let it use us. But there's a lot of other elements to this. We don't have the time to get into all of them, but 
again, take seriously any little rumblings of something not feeling okay about how they're behaving or their perspective of what a relationship should look like, right? And expectations that could have on you. Early on, you wanna give it enough time for these things to emerge. You have to have enough time and experience with them for these things to emerge for you to really assess what kind of partner they would be and what kind of relationship they want and for you to decide if you want that. It's easier to do before we really commit and get into it. People go too far and then these things emerge and they're like, well, now what? And it's like, exactly. So be, be very, 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 very thoughtful about that. We want to catch these things sooner. And these things don't always tend to improve. So bring them up. Give attention to them. Don't let someone talk you out of it. That's a problem. I think a lot of people, and we talked about this on some other shows, some of the expectations we have as to what we can expect are quite toxic. They're rooted in like, you know, toxic masculinity and they're a little sexist and there's a lot of control. I still see that in the hetero relationships. The man thinking that he has a right to dictate and determine and to set the bar and to make demands. Um, we're kind of leaving that behind. You know what I mean? It's 2021. We're, we're, it's equality, all the same expectations on everyone, but we're, we're wanting healthier relationships, you know? We deserve it, you deserve it. Uh, coming up next though, we're gonna glide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and uh, give us a follow back. Any topics you want covered though, I'm always happy to hear about that or something you want me to clarify, drop deeper into. You know, we're here for you, DMs are open, producer Alex will always get that to me, and uh, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it, there they all are. Topics are kind of listed, so you know what you're looking at, and you can binge, post, share, re-listen, it's all in there. Uh, but when we come back, like I said, we'll be gliding into those DMs, courtesy of Astroglide. Thank you, Astroglide. Uh, you are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide and Odyssey. Stick around, we'll be back. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Oh, Rachel, we are back, and it's time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. Brought to you by Astro Glide, and uh, this one's a little long, so hang in there. Let's see what this one asks. Hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Hannah, and I just got out of a pretty toxic relationship. It was very abusive. Took me two places with my anger that I didn't know I had. So, after it was over... I decided to focus on me and dedicate however long I need to learning about me. But I met a girl. She's incredible, and I can see us together in the future. Just not right now. I've expressed how I feel, and I've made it very clear that I don't want it that I don't want it to come off like I'm leading her on. We both clearly like each other. I'm not ready for an official commitment, but she is. She said she understands, and it's not like I'm going out, hooking up with others, or even dating anyone else. But I think that maybe she definitely wants more than I can give her. Am I being selfish for exploring this without making it an official, without making it official or almost catering to her needs? Um, are you being selfish? No. You've told this individual where you're at. You've told this individual what you are available for. You've told this individual what you're capable of providing. And uh, now it's on her. And if she keeps calling you, hanging out, sleeping with you, showing up, well, then she's consented. You've given her what we call informed consent. You've said to her, here's what's up. Here's the menu. Do you want to eat at the restaurant? She said, yes, I do. And then it's game on. So resolve yourself of any shame, guilt, or anxiety. You know, she said, I'm cool. And so let that be. She's an adult, you know. Um, more important to me, though, is actually what it means when you say you're kind of giving yourself time and working on yourself. The fact that that anger was able to come out is what you really need to zero in on. I mean, again, do that work. The beautiful work of leaving a relationship is looking back to learn about ourselves, right? I've said this a lot, probably almost once a show. 
we look back at prior relationships to see who we want to be again and who we don't want to be again. Prior relationships show us what's possible. They show us where our wounds are, our triggers. So work on that. And this girl's giving you a chance to maybe work on that in real time and maybe giving yourself a chance to be with her during and after. Uh, it doesn't have to be as hardlined as I'm not ready, I can't see you, I can't talk to you. Because again, remember, if you're not healthy enough to date someone, you're not healthy enough to be around friends or family members either. If you have anger issues, boundary issues, communication issues, well then please stay home and see no one. It's so interesting how we overly uh, are sensitive to how we'll impact someone romantically, but like we don't worry about how we're impacting friends, family members, colleagues. Like it's all the same skill set. I appreciate that romance and love make it amplified. And that's why some people back off of that. Please do that if you think you need that. But like also make sure you're not being toxic or problematic in the same ways or similar ways with everyone else in your life, right? Like it all, it's all in there. It all kind of matters. So check in on that. But um, I like that you're taking time. I like that you're really aware of how you're impacting someone else. I want more people to be aware of that and to think in those terms. So that's awesome. You're already ahead of the game by just thinking in those terms. But again, we can only tell people what's possible. And if they're like, I'm down and we believe them, cool. But remember, it's consent and compassion. So if she says, I'm in, but you realize it's still hard for her and it's not going well, then you do take that into consideration and say, I'm going to pull myself out because I don't want to be a part of making someone's life harder or more difficult. And my presence is, and I am not okay with seeing that. So I'm going to choose to remove myself and I'll reach out when I'm available. So like, that's the little caveat that, that mat that does matter. It does matter how we impact someone, even if they say they're cool with it. If we're harming them, we can't be cool with it. That's called being ethical and living in our integrity, you know? No one of mental health or with ethics is going to participate in any system that harms someone. Kind of like cheating. Uh, you might say, I'm single. That person has a partner that they're cheating on, but like, I'm good. No, you're not. You're helping be a part of a system that harms someone. And so you are responsible for that. You know that this person has a partner at home that's literally or symbolically harmed by their actions. Don't be a part of that. Don't be an accomplice. Being an accomplice to someone causing harm, your ethics are questionable. You know what I mean? So we all need to be better in all ways. All right, y'all, that is our show. We're back tomorrow talking about non-binary identity. More and more and more and more and more people. Wait until you hear some of the stats and the studies as to how many people are identifying as non-binary. More, please. Let's just get rid of gender altogether. Let's get so outside of gender with all these new terms and identities and labels that gender doesn't even matter anymore. It's not a real thing anyway. We've made it up. Guys this way, girls that way, the male brain, the female, none of that's real. We know that now. Shake it off. It's a good thing. So we're going to be talking about that tomorrow, how to be an ally or how yourself to be a part of that. So join us. Check out past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. Have an awesome night. I'll see you tomorrow. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.